Chapter 10 of Mildred at Home by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Elsie and her brother. Horace, bring Papa that newspaper that lies on the table yonder, Mr. Dinsmore said to his little son. The child, seated in his own little chair by his mother's side, was listlessly turning the pages of a picture book. Elsie had just finished her recitations for the morning and was now sitting on the other side of Rose, taking a lesson in fancy work. Mr. Dinsmore had spoken in a pleasant tone, rather of request than command. Yet Horace, though usually ready to obey promptly and cheerfully, sat perfectly still, as if he had not heard or did not choose to heed. Horace, do you hear me? Go and bring me that paper, said his father, and this time the tone was one of stern command. The child's face instantly assumed a stubborn, sullen expression, while he neither moved nor answered. Elsie, pale and trembling with apprehension, gave him an entreating, her father an imploring look, which neither seemed to see. Mr. Dinsmore was regarding his son with a look of stern displeasure, and Horace's eyes were on his book. Horace, dear, do as Papa bids you, said Rose, with gentle entreaty. Leave him to me, Rose said her husband. I have given the order, and I am the one to enforce it. Horace, obey me instantly, or I shall whip you till you do. At that stern sentence, Elsie almost cried out in fear and dismay, for well she knew her father's indomitable will, and she could perceive that Horace, whom she so dearly loved, that to see him suffer pain was far worse than if it had been inflicted upon herself, was just now in a most stubborn, refractory mood. Probably the state of the atmosphere had something to do with it. For it was a rainy day, close and sultry. Me don't want to, muttered the little fellow, making no movement to obey. Then, as he felt a not very gentle grasp upon his arm, he cried, Me won't, and cast a defiant look upon his father's face. Mr. Dinsmore instantly administered a pretty severe chastisement. Rose sitting by pale and sad. Elsie with the tears streaming over her cheeks. Horace cried violently, but still refused obedience to the reiterated command, go and get that paper and bring it to me. The punishment was repeated with added severity, but he stubbornly persisted in his refusal, and the battle went on till his mother, unable to endure the sight, rose and left the room. And Elsie so far forgot herself in her darling little brother's pain that she ran to the rescue threw her arms around him and tried to drag him away from her father. Oh, Papa, don't, she sobbed. Please don't whip him any more. I, I cannot bear it. Elsie, how dare you, Mr. Dinsmore exclaimed in astonishment and wrath, putting her forcibly aside as he spoke. Leave the room instantly, he added in his sternest tones and with a stamp of his foot. She let go her hold of the child, but lingering began again her entreaty. Oh, Papa, please. Will you compel me to punish you in the same way? He said, again stamping his foot and pointing significantly to the door. At that, she hastened from the room and sought her own, crying as if her heart would break. Horace yielded at last, when nearly exhausted with the conflict, received a kiss of reconciliation from his father, was then carried to his mother and wept himself to sleep in her arms her tears falling almost as fast as his. 
She had laid him in his crib and was bending over him, tenderly smoothing back the damp curls from his heated brow. When her husband came softly to her side, and putting his arms about her waist, asked in a low, moved tones, Do you blame me, my Rose? Do you think me a cruel father? She did not answer for a moment, but seemed struggling with emotion. He sighed deeply. I, I think you are conscientious in it all, she said at length, her voice trembling with feeling, and that after beginning the conflict, it was necessary for you to conquer. But I think the beginning of it was a sad mistake. How do you mean? What would you have had me do when my child refused to obey a command so simple and easy to understand and do? My husband, she said, allowing him to lead her to the sofa, where they sat down side by side. I do not like to seem to try to teach you, who are so much older and wiser than I. But do you not think you would have spared yourself and all of us a great deal of pain if instead of compelling obedience you had simply punished refusal to obey and there let the matter rest? Would it have gone so far toward securing obedience in the future? He queried, rather as if considering the question himself than asking her opinion. I think so, she said. Surely a child will not be apt to disobey very often when he finds that swift punishment is always meted out in proportion to the magnitude of the offense. He sat silently meditating for some little time, she anxiously watching the expression of his face. At length, turning to her, he said, I believe you are right, my love, and I shall, if possible, avoid such conflicts in the future. As you advise, simply punishing the act of disobedience or refusal to obey. Today, that course would, as you have suggested, have saved us all a great deal of suffering. And, oh, what would it not have saved to Elsie and myself if put into practice years ago, he sighed deeply as he added, and the pain occasioned by this unfortunate conflict is not all over yet, for I have her to punish now. Elsie, exclaimed Rose, looking at him in great surprise, what has she done? He told her what had occurred just as she left the room where he was battling with Horace, adding, I must, of course, punish her, for she was not only rebelling against my authority herself, but upholding her brother in doing the same. I suppose so, said Rose sadly, but I wish you could feel it right and wise to forgive her. Not till I have inflicted some punishment, he said. The offense was quite too serious to be lightly passed over. But you will not be severe with her, Rose said pleadingly. You know it was only her great love for her little brother that made her, for a moment, forgetful to her duty to you. And I am sure she is repenting bitterly now. I have no intention of inflicting corporal punishment, if that is what you apprehend, he said. But I think I ought to make her aware, for a day or two at least, that she is in disgrace with me. I am so sorry, sighed Rose, for though to some children that would be a very slight punishment, I know that to her it will be positively dreadful. Yes, he returned, echoing her sigh. She is extravagantly fond of her father's caresses and endearments, but so is he of hers, and I doubt if the punishment will be more severe to the one than to the other of us. 
What's the matter, child? What's the matter with you and little Massa? Aunt Chloe asked with an anxious, troubled look as Elsie rushed into her own apartments, crying very bitterly. Amid heavy sobbing and floods of tears, the little girl related what had passed between her father and brother, winding up with a story of her interference and its results. Oh, darling child, that was bad, exclaimed Chloe. You should never do no such thing as dat. Dat be very bad thing for little massa. What you been and gone and done? The Bible says chillins must mind their father and mother. Elsie made no reply, but threw herself on a couch and half buried her face in a pillow in the effort to shut out the sound of Horace's cries, which penetrated even there. Until they ceased, she scarcely thought of anything but that he was being hurt. But when all grew quiet with the ending of the conflict, she was suddenly struck with the enormity of her offense and the dread certainty that her father was greatly and justly incensed at her unwarrantable interference between him and her brother. She was astonished at her own temerity and trembled at thought of the probable consequences that some sort of punishment would be meted out to her she had not the slightest doubt, and as her father was wont to be prompt in action, she fully expected a visit from him as soon as he was done disciplining Horace. She listened with a quaking heart for the sound of his approaching footsteps, but the minutes and the hours crept on, and he came not. The dinner bell rang, and Elsie started up, full of perplexity and alarm, doubting whether she was or was not expected to obey its summons. Oh, Mammy, she cried, I don't know what to do. I don't want to go to the table. Please go and ask Papa if I may be excused. Tell him my head aches, for indeed it does, and I'm not at all hungry. Course, child, course you's got misery in de head after all dat crying, replied Aunt Chloe, putting down her knitting to go and do the errand. Don't cry no more, honey. Maybe Massa forgive you, and you's right down sorry. I am sorry, Mammy, sobbed Elsie. Oh, I am very sorry, but I know that Papa will punish me somehow or other, and I deserve it. Maybe not, honey, responded Aunt Chloe cheerfully, then hurried away to the dining room. She returned in a few minutes, bringing a very nice meal daintily arrayed on a silver tray. What did Papa say? asked Elsie anxiously. Not much, honey, only... Very well, Aunt Chloe, you can take her something when she feels inclined to eat. Elsie's tears burst forth afresh. Was it then a matter of indifference to her father that she was in pain? Her father, who was usually so full of loving anxiety at the slightest indication of anything being amiss with her. Oh, Mammy, what if Papa shouldn't love me any more? What if Papa shouldn't ever love me any more? Kai child, dat a heap o' nonsense you's talkin' now, laughed Chloe. Massa couldn't never help it, not a bit. You're just de delight of Piv's eyes. There now, don't cry no more, but just eat what your old mammy fetched for you. There was some slight and temporary comfort in the assurance her mammy expressed, and the little girl found herself able, by its help, to eat sparingly of the dainties she had brought her. 
Did Papa say I must stay in my rooms till I got permission to leave them? she asked. No, honey, darling. He didn't say nothing at all about that. Didn't give no corrections, but just about giving you what you wants to eat when you's ready for it. That don't sound so mighty bad for you, Case Child. And I respects Massa be coming in reckly for to kiss and make up. No, Elsie said, shaking her head and bursting into tears again. He'll punish me first. I am quite sure of that. God, child, if he gwant for to do dat, what you suppose he waitin' for? I don't know, sobbed the little girl, but I'm afraid it will be a long while before he will hug and kiss me again or give me a kind look or word. Why you think dat, honey? Oh, because he looked so stern and angry when he stamped his foot at me and ordered me out of the room. The afternoon passed very slowly in the constant yet vain expectation of a visit from her father or a summons to his presence. Several times she was on the point of venturing into it without being called, but her heart failed her. She was not sure that it might not be looked upon as an additional offense, for he had sent her out of the room without saying how long he meant her banishment to last. Besides, she wanted to be sure of seeing him alone. She would not have even Rose a witness of the interview. So she waited till the hour when the latter would be engaged in seeing little Horace put to bed for the night, then in much trepidation went in search of her father. She felt quite sure of finding him alone, for there were no guests in the house, and it was still storming. There seemed no danger of anyone calling. She went first to the parlor, which was their principal family room, when alone. Yes, there he was, sitting in an easy chair by a window, his back toward her, doubtless reading and quite alone. She stole noiselessly to the back of his chair, her heart beating very fast and loud. She almost thought he must hear it, but he seemed unaware of her approach, entirely absorbed in his book. She caught hold of the chair back to steady and support herself, for she was trembling in every limb. Papa, I, she began, her voice full of tears, I have nothing to say to you, Miss Dinsmore, except that I forbid you to address me that title, or to call me father, or to take any liberties with me, that would be unsuitable in a stranger guest in the house, he interrupted, in a freezing tone without turning toward her and with his eye still upon his book. Oh, I can't bear it. I can't, she cried with a burst of sobs and tears, throwing herself at his feet. I know I've behaved very badly, but I... Get up, he said sternly, again interrupting her. Control yourself or leave the room till you can. His look was as stern and cold as his words. She struggled to her feet and went back to her own rooms, crying very bitterly. Oh, Mammy, Mammy, she sobbed. It's even worse than I expected, for I'm forbidden to call him father or papa. Oh, what shall I do? How can I call him anything else? And I mustn't hug or kiss him or sit on his knee. And, and he called me Miss Dinsmore. Just think of it, not even Elsie, without the pet names I love so to hear from his lips. But Miss Dinsmore, as if I were a stranger he cared nothing about. Tank gwine to last long, honey darling. 
That air ain't, said Chloe soothingly, taking the weeper in her arms and caressing her tenderly. He just the light of Massa's eyes, like I told you before, and the pet names be sure to come along for longs. Besides, you'll have your old seat on Massa's knee and all the hugs and kisses you want. I'm afraid not for a long while, Mammy, sobbed the little girl. I think Papa has not been so displeased with me since that dreadful time so long ago when we lived in Roselands. The tea bell rang. Is you gone to the table, darling? Chloe asked. Oh, no, no, Mammy, Elsie exclaimed with a fresh burst of tears. Papa bade me leave the room till I could control myself, and I know I could not do that in his presence yet. Oh, how can I ever be with him? and not call him father or papa. As they sat down to the table, Rose glanced at the vacant seat, then at her husband. I fear the dear child is ill with grief and remorse, Horace, she said, with a troubled, anxious look. She has such a tender conscience, and so dearly loves the father, whose displeasure she has incurred. She is not ill, and I saw her a few moments ago, he answered with a sigh. She is distressed, I know, but it is the consequence of her own wrongdoing, and she must endure it for a time that she may learn never again to encourage her brother in resistance to lawful authority. Don't you think the lesson may be already learned? Rose said pleadingly. She has no stubbornness in her nature, but is very easily subdued and made penitent. I am not so sure of that. She comes a very stubborn stock, on one side at least, he replied, with a rather melancholy attempt at pleasantry. My dear husband, I wish you would forgive her, pleaded the young stepmother. Surely you will before she goes to bed tonight. Can you not be content to leave her to me, my rose? he asked. Do you not know that I am a most doting father, that she is the very light of my eye and core of my heart? Ah, sometimes I fear she is her father's idol. No, Rose said, half chokingly and with tears in her eyes. I am sure your conscience need not trouble you on that score so long as you can find it in your heart to be so severe with her faults. Not in my heart, love, he returned the little hurt. But in the settled conviction that I am acting for her good, it requires a strong effort of my will to resist the promptings of affection, of love, that urges me to send for her at once, tell her she is forgiven, and lavish the tenderest caresses upon her. That is just what I should rejoice to see you do, said Rose. Tomorrow, or the next day, perhaps, you may, he answered, in a tone that seemed so implying that he wished to hear no more on the subject. And Rose, like the wise woman and affectionate wife that she was, dropped it, though her heart ached for Elsie. After they had left the dining room for the parlor, she asked if she might go to the little girl's apartment and see if she were feeling quite well. I really don't like to claim so much authority over my wife as to forbid her going where she will about my house, which is her own also, he said with a slight smile. But I should prefer to have the child left to herself for the present. I have not confined her to her rooms, and she can join us when she will. I only bade her leave my presence this afternoon till she could control herself, and she would understand 
from that that she was at liberty to return to it when ready to comply with the condition. How she will miss her good-night chat, seated upon her father's knee, the good-night hug and kiss he has been wont to bestow upon her, sighed Rose. Yes, he said in a moved tone, rising and beginning to pace the room in a disturbed way. She will hardly know what to do without them, nor shall I, but we must. Don't make any further efforts to shake my resolve, Rose, for I cannot, must not, pass lightly over so serious a misdemeanor as she has been guilty of in this instance. Rose could but comply with his wishes, so plainly and strongly expressed, and Elsie passed the evening alone, except for the companionship of her nurse, for she dared not trust herself again in her father's presence till she could hope to be able to maintain the self-control he required. As her hour for retiring drew near, Aunt Chloe noted how she was listening for approaching footsteps, at the same time glancing frequently at her watch or the clock on the mantel. Sure, honey, you's gwine to de parlor to say good night for you goes to bed, she remarked inquiringly. Elsie shook her head, the tears rolling down her cheeks. How can I, Mammy, when I mustn't say father or papa, she sobbed. I couldn't without crying, if at all, and papa forbade me his presence till I could control myself. There, my bedtime has come, and papa hasn't. Oh, I could hardly help hoping he did not mean to let me go to bed unforgiven. There's never been a night before since, since those dreadful days at Roseland's, that I've gone without his kiss or without being held close to his heart with tender, loving words, as if I were the dearest thing to him in all the world. Don't you go for to fret your poor heart out, blessed child. Chloe said, taking her nursling in her kind arms. Your old mammy loves you like her life. So does your pa, too. And maybe he's gwine to come in here about the time you was ready for bed to kiss and make up if you promise never to do so no more as you been and gone and done this hair morning. Oh, no, never, never, Elsie sobbed, hiding her face for a moment on Aunt Chloe's shoulder. I don't know how I ever dared to do it. I deserve to be punished very severely. No wonder Papa is so displeased with me. She was soon in bed, but did not, as usual with her, fall asleep at once. She lay for a good while listening to every sound, hoping, even against hope, that her father would relent and come to give her his forgiveness and a loving kiss while she slept. But he did not, and at length she cried herself to sleep. It was the same thing over again in the morning. She hoped he would come to her to inquire of her penitence and good resolutions for the future, or send for her to go to him. But she waited and wished in vain, breakfasted in her own rooms, still too distrustful of her power of self-control to venture to join her parents in the breakfast room, then prepared her tasks for the day. Yet she could not find courage to carry them to her father, that he might hear her recitations. She was glad the weather continued such as to keep visitors away. She hoped none would come till this trouble of hers was over, for how could she bear to have any one out of the family? Even good, kind Mr. Travilla knew that she had so displeased her father, and while his displeasure lasted, 
how impossible it would be for any guest to fail to perceive it. She tried one employment after another, needlework, reading, music, but found no interest in any of them, and every now and then she would give way to a fit of violent weeping. Oh, she said to herself, how long is it to last? Papa did not say, and I don't know when he will think I have been punished enough. So the day wore wearily away, and night came again without any change for the better. Sadly mourning over her estrangement from her father, and longing inexpressibly for his forgiveness and loving favor, a thought struck her. Ah, yes, she said half aloud. I will write to Papa the confession and plead for pardon he would not let me speak. Opening her writing desk, she selected a sheet of paper, took up her pen and dipped it in the ink. But alas, how should she begin her note? By what title should she address the father who had forbidden her to call him that? How impossible to call him anything else! How disrespectful! How impertinent to omit a title altogether! She laid down her pen, pushed the paper aside, and covering her face with her hand, wept long and bitterly, Chloe watching her with tear-dimmed eyes. Precious child, she said at length, what can your old mammy do for her pet? Nothing, mammy, unless you could persuade my father to forgive and love me again. Poor child, he'll do dat for long. I's powerful sure of dat. Massa so fond of you, he can't hold out much longer hisself. Was you gwine to write something to Massa, honey? Yes, but I can't, because he forbade me to call him father or papa. And, and, oh, I don't know how to call him anything else. Oh, Mammy, I don't believe I can sleep at all tonight without his forgiveness. Then suppose my child go and ask Massa for it. No, I dare not, because he forbade me to take any greater liberty with him than a stranger guest might or to come into his presence till I could be calm, and I know I could not yet. Then your old mammy gwine for you, and dis am de best time, cause I spec massa by hisself in de parlor, she said, rising and leaving the room. As she had expected, she found Mr. Dinsmore alone in the parlor. Dropping a courtesy, she stood before him with folded hands, waiting in respectful silence for an invitation to speak. Well, Aunt Chloe, what is it? he asked. Massa, my child frettin' herself sick. She must not do that, he said with a touch of sternness in his tone. Please, sir, suppose my child can't help it. She must help it. Tell her I say so. Oh, Massa, ain't you gwine forgive my child? She am mighty sorry she been and gone and done such a thing. She ain't never gwine do de like all dat no more. I trust not, he said. I shall have to be very severe with her if she does. No, I am not ready to forgive her yet. Such conduct as she has been guilty of cannot be passed over with a trifling punishment. She must be made to realize that her offense is a very serious one. A wave of his hand with the last word gave Chloe to understand that the interview was at an end. Elsie's heart beat high betwixt hope and fear as she sat waiting and listening for Chloe's returning footsteps and for her father's, 
which might perhaps accompany or precede them. Oh, Mammy, what did he say? Will he forgive me? May I go to him now and call him Papa? She asked half breathlessly and with an eager, longing look as her nurse came in. Then reading the answer in Chloe's sad and troubled countenance, she dropped her face into her hand and sobbed aloud. Don't, child. Don't, honey, darling. I sure it all come right for long, Chloe said tenderly, laying her hand caressingly on the drooping head. But, Massa, he say you must stop dis fretting and quiet. I told him s'pose you couldn't, but he says very sternly, she must. Can you do it, darling? I'll try. I must obey my father, she sighed. Lifting her head, she wiped away her tears and by a strong and determined effort stopped their flow and suppressed her sobs. It was now time for her preparations for bed. She went through them in silence, tears now and again gathering in her eyes, but none suffered to fall. Papa must be obeyed, she kept repeating to herself. She maintained her self-control for some time after laying her head upon her pillow, but sleep did not visit it. As she lay there, turning restlessly from side to side, mental distress again so overcame her that when she became aware of it, she was wetting her pillow with floods of tears and sobbing aloud. It was now Mr. Dinsmore's own hour for retiring, and he was in his room, the door of communication with his little daughter's bedroom open as usual, so that the sound of her weeping came very distinctly to his ear. The next moment, Elsie felt herself lifted from the bed and sat upon her feet. Then her hand was taken in a close clasp, and she was led into the adjoining room, her own dressing room. Here the moon shone brightly in at a window, in front of which stood an easy chair. Toward that her father led her and seated himself therein. He was about to draw her to his knee, but she fell at his feet, sobbing. Puh! Oh, I can't help forgetting and calling you that, or crying because you are angry with me. But I don't want to be disobedient, and I'm so, so sorry for all my naughtiness. Please, please forgive me. Please let me call you father, or my heart will break. You may. I remove the prohibition, he said, in a moved tone, lifting her up and drawing her to his breast. And if you are indeed very penitent on account of your very bad behavior yesterday, and promise never to do such a thing again, I will forgive and receive you back into favor. Dear father, thank you, she sobbed, clinging about his neck. I think I was never so sorry in all my life, and I am quite resolved never, never to do such a thing again. I am astonished at myself to think I ever dared to do it. So am I, he said, and I am afraid you are not fully sensible of the enormity of your offense. I want you to reflect that in that act you are not only guilty of high-handed rebellion yourself, but we're encouraging and upholding your brother in the same. Do you wonder that I have felt it my painful duty to punish you with such severity? No, Papa, she answered humbly. I feel that I have deserved it all and a great deal more. I wonder you didn't whip me too, then and there, so that Horace might see how very naughty you considered my interference and that I must obey just the same as he. 
I probably should have done just that had you been a little younger, he said, and I am not altogether sure that I ought to have suffered you to escape as it was. You may be very sure, he added gravely, and with some sternness of tone, that you will not if the offense is ever repeated. Oh, it shall not be, Papa. It never, never shall, she exclaimed, holding up her face for a kiss, which he gave heartily. To make sure of that, if you see such a conflict beginning, though I trust there will be no more of them, leave the room at once, he said. They were silent for a moment, she with her head laid on his breast, her arm about his neck, while he held her close, softly smoothing the curls back from her brow with the free hand and gazing down tenderly into the little pale face with its tear-swollen eyes. My poor darling, you have had a sad time of it, he remarked presently. You have been crying a great deal, I see. At that, her face flushed painfully and her lip quivered. Please, Papa, don't be angry, she said in tremulous tones. I tried to stop as soon as you sent me word, and that I must. I didn't shed any more tears till after I got into bed, but then I was so, so hungry for my good-night kiss that they would come in spite of all I could do. Don't be afraid. I have forgiven all your offenses, and this is the seal, he said, kissing her fondly several times. Dear Papa, thank you. Oh, how dearly I do love you. How sweet your caresses are to me, she exclaimed. After a moment's silence, she asked, are Mama and Horace quite well, Papa? Yes. Both would have been in to see you if their plans had met my approval. Horace was much concerned when I exclaimed to him that because his sister was so very naughty as to try to take him away from me when I was punishing him for being stubborn and disobedient, she had to be punished too, and for that reason he could not see her. I am very much ashamed of having set him so bad an example, Papa she said with a sob, blushing deeply. It was to neutralize that example, not to mortify you, that I deemed it necessary to tell him. Now, my love, my darling, it is high time you were in bed and asleep, he added, repeating his caresses. Then setting her on her feet again, he led her back to her bed, laid her in it, and with a fatherly blessing and a kiss on lip and cheek and forehead, left her to her slumbers. At first she seemed too full of joy and thankfulness to close an eye, yet before she was aware of it, the happy waking thoughts had merged themselves into blissful dreams. End of chapter 10th